This is Tarot for the Wild Soul, a weekly tarot podcast about life, death, and rebirth, hosted by me, Lindsay Mack. Hey loves, welcome to Tarot for the Wild Soul. It's such an honor to be with you and to be connected with you and gathering with you. Happy new moon in Aquarius. Um, If you've been riding these waves, man, oh man, just hoping that from wherever you're receiving this, um, this transmission, I hope you feel as supported and nurtured as you possibly can be because it's been wild. Um, but today's, I'm so excited for today's episode of the podcast. It's a really special one for a number of reasons. The first is that it's our first embodiment interview in a really long time. And uh, the second is that the person that we're interviewing is so dear to me and um, really just is such a special guest. And uh, we're going to be exploring through this person's work, the essence of Queen of Swords and Justice today. And my guest for the podcast is Rebecca Davis, who is a Portland, Oregon-based trauma therapist and the co-founder with Shay Lowry of Arctic LLC, an organization dedicated to teaching white folks about the racial, systemic, historical, and inter-intragenerational trauma that BIPOC individuals experience daily and to dismantle health and service systems that refuse to meet the needs of people of color. Um, Arctic is incredible and is currently offering two events in Portland at this moment um, called How to Be Less Harmful, Training White Helpers to Serve BIPOC Clients, um, which I hope if you're in the area and you're a white helper, you will attend. Um, the dates for those offerings are February 15th, 2020. Um, and it's definitely selling out pretty fast. And September 26th, 2020 will be the second time that this, um, training is offered, but Arctic, as you'll hear in the interview offers, um, bespoke trainings is starting work with schools can work with people privately. So if you ROA practitioner who has been really desiring and seeking direct support to help make your business more, um, uh, more inclusive to help you broaden, to be able to serve, um, folks of color in your practice, to be able to dismantle white supremacy or racism in your own practices. And, you know, again, this is work that if we're white and we're helping professionals, we're all doing, in his lifelong work. So, um, really powerful to have and to cultivate the willingness to lean in on that. Um, and, uh, the offerings that Rebecca and Shay are doing with Arctic are just so, um, spectacular. And it was such an honor to speak to Rebecca about this. Um, and everything about Arctic Rebecca and how to support, donate, or sign up for Arctic's offerings are in the show notes. So just so I don't forget that, because I, I want to center that. That's really, really important. Um, and, uh, you know, before I go further as well, just to gently note that, you know, obviously, um, based on what I've already said about my guest and about this episode, we're going to be going into um, racism and how, um, that affects BIPOC and how, um, white folks who are helping professionals can become more aware. And, uh, because of the subject matter, I want to draw a boundary before this episode, um, goes up. First of all, um, know that you may get a little triggered if you're white and you're uncomfortable about your own relationship with, you know, your, um, white supremacy and your undoing of your racism. And, um, I just encourage you to stay really open and curious. Um, Rebecca really speaks to this in the interview. Can we be willing to stay with discomfort? You know, we talk about this in yoga and meditation and, you know, that really deserves to be extended to, conversations about racism when it comes to listening to black folks. And so I really hope that, um, even if you're uncomfortable, which you might be, 
um, there can be an opening and a willingness to sit in the conversation and to really keep our ears open. Um, now the second boundary is if you are uncomfortable, you may not take that discomfort to Rebecca. You may not add her on Instagram. You may not email her. You may not lay labor on her shoulders. It also doesn't mean that you can email us and ask for labor in that space. What I ask for you to do is sit with your discomfort and hang out with it for a little bit. If you're uncomfortable, even if you're triggered, I ask that you sit with that if you're a white person. And then I ask for you to, in a way that feels respectful and open, to open to other white folks that you know who are on their journey with this and ask them if they would be willing to sit. Do they have the time? Do they have the space to sit and help be your processor for your discomfort? So just really important to own and honor our um, emotional baggage here and to really be able to sit with what comes up and to check in about it. It's it's beautiful practice, absolutely beautiful practice. And obviously, um, in this interview, I count myself as being part of this. I'm in no way um, finished or even started practically with my own, um, you know, work on my own racism and white supremacy. This is, again, lifelong work and important to consistently be humble, open, and curious around. So just being very clear. Give Rebecca all of your centering, your attention, your money, your time. Um, reach out to Rebecca and Shay to really prioritize and ask them what they can do for your practices. You know, again, you'll hear about this, that they're so excited to create things that are bespoke for folks and um, so excited to come to you and work with you. And um, they're a bi-coastal operation. Shay is in the East Coast. So um, there's just endless possibilities for care and work, but do not take your discomfort to her. And again, if there's um, something that you need to process from this interview, which is a good thing, by the way, actually take responsibility for your emotional experience, ask for the help you need, and pause until it's freely given. This is consent, so just ask. And just asking everyone to really show up with their adult selves in the driver's seat, really coming from their soul, so that the brain and all other parts of us that can sometimes be super reactive when engaging in things that make us perhaps uncomfortable can be tended to by us so we're not responding out of them. So that is my, those are my qualifications for this. <laughs> um, so why Queen of Swords and why Justice? So I believe... Um, Rebecca is such a powerful embodiment of these two archetypes in this interview and in her work in the world because Queen of Swords is the keeper of sacred, unapologetic boundaries. And this archetype um, really honors their needs in order to serve others and invites us to reclaim our sovereign space and autonomy. If we've felt like We've been robbed of this, stripped of this. How can we reclaim? What are our boundaries? How do we um, honor and reclaim our space in the world? Queen of Swords is really simultaneously fierce and gentle, too, occupying the realms of water and air, emotion and mind. And this being is who we call upon when we are in the desire to evolve and get clear on our thinking. What are we thinking? What are we believing? Are we devoted to separating the noise of our brain from the truth of our soul? Can we take that sword and slice into the din and the confusion of the mind? Because Queen of Swords is really here to help us look very deeply at what needs to be acknowledged in order for us to grow and step forward into our truth. This is an active card, a card of introspection, a card of willingness to see, willingness to clarify, willingness to do our work, willingness to um, 
dig down into the kind of confusing, messy pieces and really see the medicine that shines through there. And when we blend this energy with justice, um, we're really more committed than ever before to transforming ourselves personally and systemically, which is a huge piece of what Rebecca speaks about on this um, podcast, from the roots up. And the only way that we can have true lasting change with justice is to begin with what's here, not what should be, not what we wish would be, not what we think should be, but what's here, what's present. Because only when we can honor the truth of this moment will we actually be free to change in a lasting way. And uh, that's really, really powerful. And I think radiates forward in both Rebecca and her beautiful interview and all that she shared. And um, a little bit more about Rebecca, just so everybody knows a little bit more about her background. Um, Rebecca, again, is a trauma therapist living and working in Portland, Oregon. She works primarily with survivors of childhood sexual abuse and assault, both in an agency as well as in her own private practice called Therapy Altered. Rebecca also presents at conferences, hosts workshops nationwide, guest lectures at colleges and universities, and provides consultations on her areas of expertise, dissociative disorders, drama therapy, and the impact of preverbal trauma. Rebecca co-directs a drama therapy training institute locally in the Portland area, and through her work as a social worker and trauma therapist, Rebecca came to found Arctic LLC. And uh, yeah, she's just such an extraordinary person, and it was such an honor to be able to speak with her about this. And in this episode, we talk about, um, really so much, um, her journey that led to the creation of Arctic, how she connected with her co-founder Shay, um, what it means to begin to think about, um, how we can center black and brown folks in trauma-informed care, looking at systemic racism, um, and things that white helping professionals can do to make their practices a little bit more inclusive and a little bit less harmful or just some of the pieces here. So um, again, an honor to share it. And thank you for your solidarity and your fierceness and listening. Um, here is my conversation with Rebecca. Rebecca, welcome to Terra for the Wild Soul. Hi. <laughs> it I'm is so excited oh my god the biggest honor to have you like there are no words um just I can't yeah I can't wait for this conversation as we were as we were talking about before we press record um you did my course last year and I felt an almost immediate connection to you and you were sharing you felt similarly and this conversation has been so long in the work so long that we've been talking about you coming on the podcast and it just feels like this is the perfect time given the unbelievable offering that you have that literally I'm, makes me have I'm, goosebumps. Keep going. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, I'm like, I'm like, yes. No, no. I get very excited and I, I, I talk over people often. So I like excited I like excited talking like that. It's really good. Um, it just feels like the perfect time to have you. So just thank you so much. Yeah, it's so amazing to be here on the podcast. Hearing you say, like, welcome to Terror for the Wild Soul. I'm like, what? <laughs> just, you know, I'm such a super fan. Um, and yeah, I, I'm totally with you on, you know, last year. You know, there's something about that hangman year um, that everything, at least for me, everything was just, gestating and it was like everything was dying and growing and yes. things were falling away and there was so much like that energy 2019 was just crazy for me and you know so it does not escape me that like boom top of January mm -hmm. we're having this conversation we've yeah. been talking about for quite some time yes and so you're totally right it just feels like the exact right time to just you know, let's jump in. <laughs> yeah. January, here we go. 20. I agree. So, um, Rebecca, among many um, things, you're a therapist, um, a social worker, you work with children and families um, who are 
healing and processing sexual violence. I'm sure among many other things that you can add to your um, immense list of accreditations and gifts and abilities. Um, but you are also the co-founder of Arctic, probably one of the most magnificent, exciting things that I've seen in a really long time. Um, just incredible that you co-founded with Shay Lowry, your business partner, and Arctic stands for Anti-Racist Trauma-Informed Care. And so I want to just kind of jump off and hear in your own words, can you tell us what Arctic is um, and why you were drawn to co-found it? Yeah, absolutely. Mm -hmm. um, I So I moved here. I currently live in Portland, mm -hmm. important information for the story. Yeah. And I have lived in a lot of different cities. I grew up right outside of D.C. Um, and the East Coast. I'm just an East Coaster for life. The East Coast is so my home. Mm -hmm. And I also lived in Chicago. I lived in New York. I lived in Brooklyn. I lived in um, Miami. So I've lived in a, a bunch of really big cities on the East Coast and in the Midwest. And so when I decided with my spouse that I would, or that we would move to Portland, um, when I got here, I immediately felt that something was like wrong about this place. Mm. Um, and that feels, I, I'm like, I'm so sorry to all of the Portlanders mm. who are listening and to all of the Portland folks who are like, this is the best place ever. Because I'm like, it is the best place ever for white folks. Mm -hmm. That is true. Um, and I don't know if any if people listening know the history of Portland, but it was actually founded as a white supremacist state. That it was built when they were trying to get people to come to Oregon. Um, when Oregon was first created, they were like, come to a white mecca where there won't be any people of color here. Yes. And like, that was the way that they attracted folks to come to, to Oregon. Mm. And you can feel that energy. Um, at least I can as a woman of color. And so when I got here, I was like, wow, there are so few people that look like me. And I um, I really had to take a look at my own privilege of growing up in areas where when I was surrounded by lots of white faces, I could retreat back to my home, back to my neighborhood, and I could then choose to be surrounded by people who look like me. Mm. And it, it would work. You know, I have to, like, go find them, but I could do it. And when I moved here, that was not the case. And immediately I started feeling the impact of that on my mental health. I started experiencing the impact of that at my workplace, just, you know, being the only black person. Um, and I identify as also probably important, I identify as black and indigenous. And, um, so being the only black person, uh, black only black woman for a while, I think, um, and then, you know, just having at my job and having so few familiar faces was really incredibly challenging and exhausting. And I invented a term very quickly that I uh, call white people fatigue, mm -hmm. <laughs> which is how much racism do I encounter during a week? And, you know, sort of similar to the spoons thing, you know, yeah. like how many spoons do you have today to give out? Um, for me, it was how much ability do I have to manage racism today? Yeah. And sometimes I would have white people fatigue on Tuesday and I was like, oh, man, this week is going to be rough. And then sometimes <laughs> I would Friday and be like, oh, OK, like I made it through the week. I can now recover, you know, in my own house. And, you know, it's it's really really different here for folks of color than it is on the East Coast. And that was when Arctic really started brewing because I actually never, I was never a person who talked a lot about race and racism. I obviously knew about it. I had obviously been experiencing it, I mean, as early as I can remember. Um, but I had never, I never felt like the need to talk about it. I'd never felt the need to call it out. I had never felt the need need to name it mm. and when I moved here I was like oh, okay like I actually have a voice about this that I had not previously had and so I had a lot I found myself having a lot of feelings and I found myself like a defining moment for me was when the executive director of an organization I was working for was telling me about how it's a really big thing in on the west coast for organizations to write an equity statement mm. 
about all the things that we're they're doing about equity and to increase equity, et cetera, et cetera. And I was furious because I was looking around this building I was working in and I was like, I'm the equity statement. Mm. Like you should just make me a shirt. Just make me a shirt and I'll put it on every day. They're like, I'm your equity mascot. I'm your equity statement. Mm. So why are you talking about how you're trying to put, and I can hear myself code switching as I'm, <laughs> as I'm telling the story that I'm like, how are you trying to, trying to write a statement about all of the things that you're doing about people of color and, you know, and also I, I, that language is important, like doing about people of color in your organization. Yeah. You're not doing it for people of color in your organization. You're, you feel the need to do something about me. Yeah. And I was like, that feels like trash. Like mm. that just, ugh, it's a terrible feeling. And so that's kind of where Artix was born because when I met Shay, Shay is quite legitimately the only ally. There's like, I don't want to say the only now, but at that time, Shay was the only ally I had ever met. But Shay really put herself out there mm. at our organization when, you know, we were working in uh, child welfare. And so we would have, you know, young white boys who were in our, who are, you know, in the program and they would say the N word at each other, at people of color. They would um, say and do incredibly racist things. And Shay would put herself like on the front line for me. Mm -hmm. She would say, you know what? Because it, it also felt like a lot of my white colleagues would come to me and they would be like, can you have a conversation with insert name of white child who just said the n-word yeah and i'm like why do i have to have a conversation like really <laughs> yeah. like i just heard that like i had to hear racial violence just now but i also am the one who has to have a conversation with him yeah about why that's not okay <clears throat> excuse me um and so then shay would step forward and shay would be like rebecca is going to go to her office i will have a conversation with the white child about why that's not okay or you know, Shay would say Hell things, yeah. we actually would have plans about meetings, you know, where we would, because we're deeply, deeply aligned humans, and we would have conversations before meetings where we would plan out, like, what are the things that I feel need to be said, and then she would amplify and say them, because what we discovered very quickly working together is that when I would speak, people would just like, oh, yeah, mm -hmm. and then Shay would say the exact same thing. And people would be like, oh, my gosh, brilliant. We should absolutely do that. How do we implement that right now? Mm. And so we would plan. And Shay would come to me and be like, what do you want me to say in this meeting so that it gets heard? And in so many ways, Shay was the first real ally that I had ever met. And so it just was natural that we came together to do the work of Arctic, which is teaching people how to center the experience of black and brown folks mm -hmm. when they are creating their trauma-informed care curriculums or when they're um, implementing policies, procedures, because trauma-informed care is a big buzzword. Everyone wants to be talking about trauma right now. People are really into it, and which is wonderful. But in all the trauma-informed care trainings that I had been to um, and that Shay had attended, it was like one slide. Like they would have one slide that was like, also racial trauma is a thing. Think about systemic trauma and also inner and intergenerational trauma cool okay thanks moving on mm. and I was always like you're talking about wanting to reach the constituents that most need support and especially in social services how are you not talking about black and brown folks if you're talking about the people who will most need the services that you provide mm -hmm. because we routinely have less access we routinely have more barriers to treatment we routinely have right all of these things that get in the way and you're creating a trauma-informed space for white folks. Mm. And so that was how Arctic was born, was out of me not wanting to be the equity statement and having found an ally that was like, yes, I will do this work with you to teach white folks how to be less harmful wow. and how to actually trauma-informed care the right way. Wow. I mean... That was a long story. It was not long enough. I, it was incredible. Thank you for sharing. Thank you for sharing all that you did. Just bowing to every word of it, bowing to Shay, you know, just all of that. And 
really just feeling the deep power and the alignment of um, the creation and the birth of this offering. And, you know, in your mission statement, I believe, let me make sure that I have that right. Oh, no, it's in your bio on the Arctic website. You say, and I quote, most often clients of color are referred to me, not because it would be in the best interest of the client, but because other clinicians, quote, don't know what to do with them and find them intimidating, threatening, or foreign. And that really um, was quite striking to me because I see what you're saying about the idea that this is so, so systemically deep that clinicians are referring people of color to you because they're literally not, there's no um, foundation for them to even learn how to be with, like, like you said, just that one slide. And the information is out there, just you and Shay are putting it together in such a clear modeled package that um, I can really feel the power in what you shared in that and like having Arctic be this, um, way to go as deep into the root as we can break the systemic patterning with the way that people are taught so that people, be they white or not, can care for anyone who comes their way because they're not centering just the experience of white trauma anymore. Um, is that really like, I mean, that's basically what you're saying, but, um, yeah, yeah I mean, it's just so powerful, so powerful. Um, yeah, well, when you think about when you think about what trauma is or what trauma looks like and how we treat trauma, mm -hmm. you know, we're talking about often the experience of the majority, and then we're trying to model spaces and experiences and and products and all of those things in order to heal white white trauma, mm -hmm. and 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 people don't know they're doing it. You know, yeah. and that's a really huge thing that I that I like to highlight in, you know, when I train and just in general, because oftentimes what gets in the way of white folks talking about racism is the feeling of being personally attacked. Mm -hmm. And that comes because most often people are talking about interpersonal racism. Um, and I'm like, many, many white folks are not members of the KKK. Many, many white folks are not pointing at black folks that they see on the street and being like, oh, look at that N-word. Like, it's not, many white folks are not doing it. There are white folks who are. And I'm like, I imagine they're probably not listening to this episode. Probably <laughs> <Because> not. <laughs> I'm like, no. Um, you know, but many white folks are not behaving in that manner. And so when we talk about racism, there's a feeling of like, what do you mean I'm not like that? Or like, what do you mean I'm not being, I'm not being mean to my black friends or the black folks I see on the street or, you know, when I read about black people in the news, like, I'm not thinking mean, angry thoughts. I'm not being hateful. You can't possibly be talking about me. And so yeah. then white folks are like, oh, we don't need to have this conversation or, oh, it's not really real because that's what is being imagined yes. as racism. Um, when actually I want to have a conversation about the system, you know, that America mm -hmm. as a nation was founded on yeah. racism. It was founded on racist beliefs. And so it's really, really hard to extract, you know, folks out of the systems that we are experiencing every day. And also there's an idea that white folks are the majority, which is interesting because that's only true actually in apartheid states mm. and also maybe like Sweden. <laughs> but wow. like only in apartheid states are white folks the majority. Yeah. The black and brown folks are the are the majority everywhere else around the world. Yeah. Um and but yet there's this idea that we're minorities. Yeah. And when you look at, you know, let's talk let's imagine like, oh, you know, if we want to have a conversation about what helps white folks to feel safe or like what, you know, in, in order to manage uh potential trauma, which is important. We should be talking about that. Um but you know, ideas about like the color scheme of like blues and greens and like that might be true for white folks. That might not be true in all cultures. Yeah, absolutely. Because color doesn't mean the same thing in all cultures. Mm. Or, you know, like well, oh, having like having like an enclosed space might feel safe for a population of people. Like, sure, it could, but 
there might be people from other cultures who find that incredibly frightening or confining or like not having access to the earth outside might be really terrifying for different folks for different reasons. That like, you know, there's this, this idea that like safety or that trauma means the same thing for everyone. And so Arctic, like, we really want to ask those questions and I don't have the answers because I can't speak for all black and brown folks everywhere, Mm -hmm. you know, and that's not my job, but my job is to ask questions about like, what could it be like for people who are not like me? What could it be like for people who are not like Shay? What is it like for people who come from different countries, you know, for like, you know, non-English speaking refugees? Mm -hmm. What is that? What is their experience of safety? What would that look like? And are you reaching that population too mm-hmm. when you say that you're doing trauma-informed care? Wow. I mean, so I, there's a million, my head is exploding. It's just so powerful. <laughs> it's so powerful. I'm like, also, this is basically my workshop. Like I'm like, oh, <laughs> uh, well, I mean, texting pe- at you. Like I feel good. I need it. <laughs> so it's beautiful. Please never apologize. I need it. Well, you know, it's powerful to consider framing the focus on systemic racism, which I imagine makes it a lot easier for white folks to take in the invitations that you're bringing. And I know for myself as a white person in my journey of undoing my white supremacy, which is lifelong work and I'm still doing every day, the initial barrier of, oh no, what if people think I'm racist was so strong. And that is where I think, and I know you know this, but a lot of folks get stuck or drift into defense or can't engage with the discomfort of evolution. And so they either shut down or stop engaging with their reflections on racism. And it is very powerful and radical to think that Arctic and the work that you're doing with this organization sounds like it can really serve to fortify the courage and the capacity of white folks to look both at their systemic racism and prejudice, but to begin to deepen their personal responsibility through that. And then as a healers and space holders, I can't imagine anything more valuable than that. Absolutely. Yeah. And I totally agree with you. Um, And I think the place that I always come from when talking about systemic racism is like, my question is, where did you learn that from? Mm -hmm. Because human behavior is not random. Um, You know, and that's the thing that I've learned as a trauma therapist as a behaviorist yeah. is that human behavior we don't do the human as an organism does not do anything just because behavior is not random yeah. and so my immediate question is if you know if you're a person who says i know my heart i know that i am not intending to be unkind or, or hurtful which i believe you know white folks say that to me and i'm like i believe you mm-hmm. because i really do but then you have to ask the question of where did you learn that from yeah and so when we keep asking that question of like, oh, I learned it from my parents. Cool. Where did they learn it from? Yeah. And, if, and the more that we ask that question and just keep asking, we eventually do come back to the system. Mm. And so yeah. it feels, it can just feel a lot less uh, personal and a lot less painful if we acknowledge like, yeah, we all have behaviors that are not cool. Like just you know, in relationships with each other, regardless yeah. of race, everyone has behaviors that are not cool. Like everyone does things and they're like, Ooh, that wasn't, that wasn't great. Yeah. Maybe I don't want to do it that way next time. Yeah. And like all of that, you learn that from somewhere. And so let's identify where did that come from? Mm-hmm. And also how do you take personal responsibility to make an adjustment now that you know better, right? So yeah. like you can't do better unless you know better. Absolutely. And so we, and so we always have to ask like, where did that come from? And I think that's what always brings me back to systems. And I think, you know, also to be perfectly honest, I talk a lot about systems. A, I'm a social worker and like system theory is kind of what we do. Mm-hmm. But B, because it is more comfortable for white folks. Yeah. And when I am doing training with white folks, I'm always managing the comfort level in yeah. the room. I'm always managing the fragility. And I, and I mean, I feel like if there's one takeaway from us having this conversation, I want every white person to know, like listening to this, that I'm like, I realize that you were taught this growing up. I know that. I realize that the whole of America has been like created to teach you this fact, but it's actually a lie that white folks do not have the franchise on comfort. Yeah. You just don't. <laughs> Everyone take and a I know deep breath, part. breathe that in. <laughs> right. No, yeah. I know. Like I'm like, second and like 
Yeah. You know, I can imagine there's a lot of feelings happening and I'm like, just, you know, can you sit with that? Can you sit with the fact that like you don't have a franchise on comfort? Mm-hmm. But like, you know, there's so much privilege yeah. in getting to step in and out of conversations about race at will. There's so much privilege to get to choose like what I'm going to talk about and when mm-hmm. and how, and like, do I want to? And, Oh, I don't want to, so I'm not going to. Yeah. Or like, I don't like being uncomfortable, so I'm not going to talk about this. Yeah. Like, what a beautiful privilege that is when black folks and like black and brown folks are being asked all over the world, really, and in America right now. Like, it's bravery to step outside of our houses, you know? Absolutely. Like, we have to be brave just to go to get in our cars. We have to be brave to go to work. Like, we have to be brave all the time. And we are continuously in a state of discomfort in these United States of America. And so, you know, could you be uncomfortable for like an hour during listening to this podcast, you know, or like, could you be uncomfortable for a day in a workshop? Because then that's it. Like, and then you don't have to be there. You can go home and then you don't have to be uncomfortable anymore. And like, you take a break. (laughs) You can be like, I don't want to. And, you know, this isn't, this isn't meant to be like a dig. This isn't meant to be like, oh, you know, I think oftentimes there's this belief of like, well, you must hate white people, which is so interesting. Um, that, you know, I, I don't, <laughs> I don't, I mean, I'm like, I don't say that, but I'm like, I, I don't, yeah. um, I am, I'm biracial. I, I am, there's a large chunk of me that is white and I identify with my white family and I love them. And I, you know, I engage in, cultural behaviors that are attached to my white family and where we come from. We're German. And like, I think, you know, yeah. friggin' I'll crush out some sauerkraut. It's like favorite. <laughs> favorite <laughs> you know, that like, yeah. it's, it's, there's not a disconnect. It's just the problem is that, um, I don't get to live my life as a white person, even yeah. though half of me is. And so that feels really powerful because other people don't look at me and see my mother's face. Yeah. Like other people don't look at me and they're like, Oh, you must be half German. Like nobody, that doesn't happen. Mm-hmm. And so I don't, I didn't get to choose whether or not I wanted to live my life as a black and brown person. And that was chosen for me based on the color of my skin. And so yeah. I have to navigate all of those things. And I, you know, I don't get to have that same level of comfort that, you know, my mother has. Yeah. in the world yeah you know and my mom I mean I felt like bless her I feel so terrible like my mother is terrified for me like all the time yeah she's so worried like she's like so so worried about me and like am I okay in the world and like yeah. you know after Trump was elected and like I refused to leave my house like I was convinced that the KKK was like posted outside like I was so scared and like there was you know there's nothing she can say and how terrible is that, like, as a mom, that she's like, I'm so sorry. Yeah. Like, there's nothing that she can say. And she's like, I know. Like, she knows that my safety is, like, exponentially, like, just compromised. And she's like, and what can she do, you know? She's yeah. just like, well, I really hope I don't lose my kid today mm. at, like, a routine traffic stop. Of course. You know? Mm. And so, I'm like, you know, we're taking it there. <laughs> like, it's getting really morbid. Mm, but, great. you know, that's, that's a real thing. And yes. then I'm like, if that you know, that's what my mother is living with. And that's the kind of experience that I'm living with. And I'm like, you know, white folks can be a little uncomfortable for an hour during podcast, you know, like you can do that. I believe in you. I I (laughs) believe in you. Yeah. 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 We have your back. Absolutely. And, you know, something very powerful that you said too, that I think goes back to this idea of the system being at the root of all of it and Arctic really coming in and, and, um, decentralizing whiteness as the focus for healing is the other story that I know I've had multiple conversations with white people who've had to unpack an experience and they choose to process with me that, um, is related to, uh, an instance where they were racist or ignorant in some way. Um, and the thing that it always comes back to is racist equal bad, and I'm good. And it's like, yeah, the system that you've been, it's so powerful that by looking at the system as a whole, you're again, coming back to this root system again and again and again, um, about, you know, 
beyond the bounds of comfort. Cause we always talk about on this podcast and with tarot for the wild soul and all that stuff, like moving through that discomfort and y'all talking about the system, um, I'm sure is a very powerful way of getting the information in there for people who haven't quite yet, um, you know, looked at their own complicity as well. Yeah. Well, and there's, I have a deep trust, you know, like people don't want to be harmful, mm-hmm. you know, that's not, most people do not wake up in their mor- in the morning and they're just like, all right, here we go. Like, how am I going to do harm today? Like, yeah. that's not where people are coming from. And I have a deep trust in that. I have a deep trust, you know, and humans like also, you know, we're having this big conversation about a lot of the differences. But there's also so much sameness, you know, you know, that like we're all more alike than we are different. Yeah. As well. You know, and like that also has to be acknowledged. And I feel like that some that's also part of the work because there is oftentimes there's a fear that white folks hold. There's a belief that we are so different that like that our experiences like that that you know, this idea back to my bio that I don't even know what to do with this person and so I'm yeah. gonna refer them out mm-hmm. to you. Mm-hmm. When like what if it was just can you sit with them? You know? Yeah. yeah. Like, could you sit with them? Could you sit with your own feelings? Mm-hmm. And then also, while you're sitting with your own feelings, could you not make it the other person's problem yeah. that you're sitting with? Yeah. You know? And, like, could you not put your beliefs that are actually, that can be really harmful and that are weighty and exhausting to manage and all those things, could you just hold on to your stuff, you know, mm-hmm. and then manage it and then sit with another person who has their own stuff? And then can we all, like, how do we sit with each other? And, you know, it feels so interesting having come out of a hangman year Mm -hmm. um, to really, you know, I feel like my whole job is to ask people to sit with things, you know, and to just defend in something. And, like, can you just be here in it and see what it feels like? And then, oh, something came up and, like, oh, I don't like that. But that's okay. I'm going to stay in any way. I'm just going to be here with my stuff and it's going to rearrange itself and I'm going to learn and I'm going to grow and something's going to die mm-hmm. and I'm going to be shedding, you know, and by the time we move into the death card, like, Hey, ah, like I feel really different. Yes, absolutely. There's a true transformation that can take place very much. Well, I, I feel like, um, so I have, I have so many questions and there's so many directions, but we've, we've talked about this, um, both kind of directly and indirectly multiple times that, um, in, on your website, you have a very powerful quote, um, which is that trauma informed care can only be a reality when we address all trauma. Crucial. The the truthiest truth that truth town ever gave out. (laughs) It's like just, (laughs) nothing truer. Um, and because you are discussing anti-racist trauma informed care with Arctic and because, um, you have, as you know, we mentioned in the introduction, like a fantastic event coming up on February, um, 15th that everybody in the area should go to if they're in Portland or in the surrounding areas, um, about, you know, how to do basically be a less harmful, white person in the wellness space, um, or a less harmful, um, healing practitioner if there's privilege. Um, so I'm curious, like, what would you say is the most important thing, be they spiritual practitioners, therapists, or other folks operating within another healing modality that white helping professionals need to know to begin to address all trauma, not just white centered ones. <laughs> oh, that's such a good question, and I'm like the most important. Like I'm like I don't even. Oh, that's so, there's so much. Um, yeah. One, I mean, I think one thing to one really important thing to say is like if you don't know something, or don't pretend that you know. Mm-hmm. Just ask. <laughs> um, so, like, there's a, there's this really interesting, like, 
So in reading, um, does this come from Robin D'Angelo? It really might. Um, there's, it might be a Robin D'Angelo, mm-hmm. um, uh, like sort of quote, I'm going to butcher it. Um, but she talks about in her book like this, um, the post-civil rights, like colorblind era, uh, yeah. you know, because Dr. King, right, has a quote about like that I would, you know, not be seen for the color of my skin. And so then immediately white folks post uh, yeah. civil rights era were like, oh, well, that's just the key is that I'm just going to be colorblind. Like I'm just not going to notice. Um, and um, that's weird. <laughs> like I, we don't pretend that we don't see other things. Yeah. So why would we pretend not to see race? Like that's a really strange really strange thing to do and you know there there does need to be like a gentleness in the delivery you know like it's it it might not be the best idea to when your client walks into the room whatever kind of healing modality or or service work you're doing just be like oh hello black person like i'm like ooh, maybe not or like you look asian like don't do that um (laughs) you know that they're like don't do that gentle to notice right like don't don't just don't um there are gentle ways to notice but like you don't have to pretend like I've noticed, you know, like I walked into the space and I, I met you and I saw you and like, I noticed that you were a white person. Like you don't have to pretend that you don't see me. Like, that's weird. Yeah. You don't have to pretend that you don't know that I'm a woman of color. It's odd. Yeah. <laughs> like I know you see other things in the room. Like I am also in here. Yeah. And so I would say that is a little silly and um, because once you notice something, and you acknowledge that you notice something, then you have the ability to get curious about it. Mm. And I think that's my second thing is to stay curious. Yes. Because oftentimes, so I have like a whole big thing because like cultural racism is a thing where, you know, people like pieces of culture is a race, which is like we can start getting into like spiritual cultural appropriation. Like that's where appropriation starts showing up is like the erasure of culture in order to erase a people, mm-hmm. which again, a deliberate systemic thing that, you know, started with, um, you know, the native population of like, uh, kill the Indian and save the man sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, been happening for a long, long time, uh, here in America and all over the world. Um, and so, you know, we could get into there, you know, there's a whole, there's a whole hour and a half conversation in here about That's that as for well. Sure. Um, but, <laughs> right. But, um, you know, there is often, I think often people forget, and not specifically white folks, but just folks in general, forget that things mean something. And I realize that sounds really vague and weird, no, but like true. I understand. Things, things have meaning, yes. you know, like things mean something. And just because you see something or hear something and you don't know what it means, it doesn't mean that it doesn't have meaning. It just means it doesn't have meaning to you. Yes. Like that doesn't mean that it's meaningless. Like that's not the same. Mm. And so, you know, we have this idea where, or this, you know, this culture of, you know, I've noticed a lot in the in the Pac Northwest of like naming people, places, and things after like native words. And we do it all over the country, but it happens a lot in the Pacific Northwest, and it's weird to me because I'm like, that's not what that word means, mm. you know? Like I'm like, you named the school that, but like that word means I don't know, like that word means like leaves falling off of a tree branch yeah. in the middle of the fall like yeah. like i'm like that word has a, a meaning and you like named your bank that and i'm like that's weird yeah you don't know what that word is like why did you do that and it happens all the time um i have a big thing about teepees mm-hmm. because teepees have a thing they are a very specific structure and i don't know why white folks are like yes this is like a cute thing for children to play in like i'm like no it's not if you want like you could like you could have a you could, if you wanted that, like you could just get a tent. Yeah. Why did you? Why did it need to be a teepee? You know, like yeah. that doesn't make sense. Like you just like there are lots of versions of transient housing or like mobile housing. Like you don't need. It doesn't have to be culturally specific. Yeah. Why are you using a teepee when you could choose literally any other thing? Um, but oftentimes there's this idea like, oh, it's meaningless. Like, oh, I didn't know. Like. I actually, you know, I, I actually had a white person who said to me when I had this conversation with them, they're like, oh, I just thought it was cute. And I was like, what? 
Like, yeah. <laughs> I'm like, what do you really like? You just you just thought it was cute, like that. And I feel like that is so much of the root of cultural appropriation is this assumption that things don't have meaning because you don't know what it is, mm-hmm. or because like it doesn't have meaning to you. Mm-hmm. And so I would say for all folks in the world, and then also in this in the context of this conversation for white folks, get curious about your clients. Yeah. Get curious about the meaning of things. And that also doesn't mean that like you have to make them teach you, but like you could you could ask about, I don't know, as a therapist, like I talk about people's ethnicity and culture and race. I talk to clients about the foods that they eat, like because all things are part of a human and they all have impact. Yeah. And so I'm very curious. Like I wanna know, like, oh, tell me say more about that. You know, mm-hmm. that's like my number one phrase in therapy is like, Can you say more about that? Um, and then if someone says something that I don't know, like we have these unbelievable Google machines. It's yeah. like incredible. Yeah, <laughs> you can you really do. Go find out. Yeah. Like you could just look and like, you know, mm. you have it on your phone, you have it on your watch. Mm. You'd be like, Hey Siri, like you could ask Alexa what it is. Like there's so many ways that <laughs> yeah. you could find out. Yeah. <laughs> you don't have to, like you could just go do it. It would take seconds. I actually, there's like a thing that I do in session with clients and most of my clients know this about me that if they're talking and I work with a lot of children. So they talk to me about things and I'm like, I don't have any idea what that is. Like a bot, like, Oh no. Bakugan. Right. Toys. That was a new thing that just showed up in my office last week. And I was like, I don't know what you're saying. Like, what is that? And so immediately as my client is talking, I'm like, I'm going to Google so I can know what's happening. Like while you're sharing with me, you know? So then like this little seven year old nugget, like wanders over to my computer and he's like pointing out like, Oh, I have that one. And like, it's a way that we are engaging together mm-hmm. around the fact that I don't know what something is and it's my job to figure it out so that I can relate to my client. Yes. And so I'm like, what if people were just curious, like in general about what other things were and if those things have meaning. Yes. And that is going to like totally revolutionize. I think people's ability to have relationships and to really serve folks of color is to like show, demonstrate that you actually want to know about them, mm-hmm. which is really important. Like people want to feel known um, and seen. And then also demonstrate that you're willing to do like even the smallest bit of legwork mm-hmm. to find out more about what they're saying. Yeah. And like those two things, like see them, know them, do a little work around them. Amazing. Like, it's beautiful. So relational. Yeah. And helpful. That's really beautiful. <laughs> it was another like treatise. <laughs> yeah. I mean, Talk really there's <laughs> really, there's such <laughs> medicine in what you're saying. Like you, you have the value and the, the gifts and what you're saying are unbelievable. Um, yeah. I mean, just yes to all of it. And um, yeah, we could have another hour and a half discussion just on cultural, cultural appropriation alone. Um, but just the really huge feelings that a lot of white folks have. And I understand because I've had those feelings myself in my own undoing process, hundred percent. But like they're big feelings about like, as if we're taking their toy away. Like, what do you mean? I can't, you know, mm-hmm. I can't talk about this. Or what do you mean? Like this herb or this tool is a problem. What do you mean that this tarot deck is harmful or might feel harmful to some yeah. people? And it's like, yeah, you know, that's, that's again, like the insidiousness of white supremacy. Like you never ever were taught that you had to ask to do anything. Everything's just yours. You can take it. I mean, that's like the foundation of like what it is to be a white person in America. Like if I want it, I take it. I don't even think to ask. Yeah. Christopher Columbus style. Yeah, (laughs) absolutely. Absolutely. So like people with, you know, again, wonderful intentions, good hearts, not wanting to do harm can engage in practices all the time. And then feel so totally blindsided when they're called in or out by someone and, um, you know, can just feel like, Oh my God, I don't even know what hit me, but it's really like, you know, hundreds and thousands of years of buildup of cultural erasure. And, um, it's very powerful. I think for you to bring that forward as well, among with everything else that you brought forward, because I think it's just offering people the opportunity to, again, think about it in a really, when we're talking about soul evolution all the time, what we're talking about is soul evolution. It's soul work. 
It's like powerful, deep. It's just as deep as any other death rebirth cycle. It's just as uh, like, if not more so like we're on the planet with each other. It's important, especially if we want to do better and be better. And I also think like, again, not that I'm just excited by what you're saying. So I'm commenting (laughs) on it, but like, yeah, just that, like, just to be curious, to ask questions, my God. I mean, the things that I will research to find out like the answer to who was on a guest who was on like an episode of Mary Tyler Moore, like back in the seventies. I mean, like we can find, (laughs) we can find out things. Like it's so easy to find out things. We, I think the brain is so intense with, again, all its defenses and project and protections and projections around like, well, I'm not racist. What? No. That like, I think it, it like literally keeps us from seeing the steps A through Z about like, just, Hmm. You know, I don't know anything about this. Maybe before I talk about it, engage in it, invest in it, sell it. Maybe I should do a little research. Or if a client of mine is um, coming forward, is of, uh, you know, um, you know, is in a particular body. If I do have questions, I can ask them. I can get curious. I can, you know, begin to develop my practice around making space for the client to say, what they need to say in order for them to feel safer. Just starting to ask these questions and get more curious is really what I'm just very powerful. And believe it or not, I think a lot of, a lot of folks who are white um, miss that step, I think, because they want to know it all and they're afraid to be wrong, you know, or afraid to be uncomfortable. Yeah. Well, you know, I'm, and what I'm thinking about and I'm, you know, it's in some ways I'm, (laughs) I feel like I'm like, mindful that I'm like, this is a tarot podcast. I'm like, we should talk about, but, and also though, I really think this is how I kind of think about the world. And I think about my work and that tarot really, um, influences it in a lot of ways that Mm -hmm. like, you know, I'm like, can we get into a little like page of cups energy about this kind of stuff? You know, like, can we really like, could you just wonder, you know, could you just like be a little playful and, a little curious and just sort of like, you know, like look in there and like, what's in that thing? You Mm -hmm. know, like, totally like I, you know, like what's in this cup right now? Like really wonder and not like assume that you already know. Cause I just imagine, you know, you're like staring in that thing and then like, whoop, like a big pot. Like if you like, like if we really like (laughs) that a real moment, like that would be startling. I think like Mm -hmm. I would be startled. (laughs) Me too. Like I'd be like, but it's having my beverage. Like what? Like what? <laughs> my really beverage. Yeah. Like, I would just like really have questions. And like, <laughs> and it would probably seem really silly. I don't know. I could be alarmed. Like, I'm not sure. Like really, mm-hmm. I think about like what really would happen. I don't know. But like, you know, could we get a little playful? Could we get a little curious around, you know, the sorts of things that I find myself Googling? Like you mentioned, like a Mary Tyler Moore. Like, I'm like, what was that? person's name who was on that one show that came on after the other thing you know what I mean like I search for the weirdest things same that are just like are meaningless that don't make any sense you know I was reading you know just this morning because I saw a meme about um Meghan Markle and so then I was like, oh, I, like, wonder what's happening in the English monarchy. Yeah. Why is that? Like, you know what I mean? Meghan Markle's life is not any of my business <laughs> at all. Like, I'm like, why am I curious about what she's doing <laughs> with Prince Harry yeah. and their life together? Like, that's not about me. What am I doing? But I was curious because I saw a meme and I was like, I wonder what that means. Yeah. You know, and, like, can we just be a little bit? a little bit playful about stuff and just like, you know, what if it didn't have to be like, I don't know what this thing is. Like that's so meaningful. Like, okay, it could be, but it also could just mean that like, you just click a little Google, you know, like see what's up, get a little overview and, you know, check it out a little bit before you then like make decisions about it, you know, Mm -hmm. like just kind of check it out. Yeah. Oh, so beautiful. Hell yes. Um, oh my God, I have so many things to say. Okay, so I want to 
Okay. <laughs> we could go on about this for legit another three hours, but I want to come back yeah. and circle back to Arctic. So y'all have an event on February 15th. I'd love for you mm-hmm. to talk about that. Sure. I'm going to, you know, I feel like sort of everything that we just said is, is what yeah. is going to be, is, is the event. Um, it's from nine to five. It is uh, on February 15th, it, which is a Saturday. Um, for mental health practitioners, I believe there will be continuing education credits. So if you need those, you can grab them. But it's not just for mental health folks. It's for all service providers. Um, and so it's, it's called How to Be Less Harmful. Um, I think it was like, what is the whole title? Um, helping uh, white, um, white helpers or white service providers mm-hmm. support BIPOC clients, BIPOC stands for Black, Indigenous, people of Color, just for anyone listening. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and it's, it's really a full day of we're going to be looking at specifically white supremacist values um, because we we also want to look at if we're talking about race and we and we bring a lot of things from critical race theory and you know when we're talking about race and racism we also have to talk about whiteness and it's sort of assumed that whiteness is neutral that whiteness is like nothing that whiteness is completely individualized and that all mm-hmm. white folks are totally different from one another and that there's no way that you could like lump white people in a category together very interesting yeah um (laughs) and but like there is a culture of whiteness white folks have a culture um and so looking at what is the culture of whiteness and that white supremacy is just assuming that whiteness is the norm assuming that whiteness is mainstream assuming that whiteness is correct assuming that white standards are what everyone should hold themselves to right like that's all white supremacy and so um you know, it's kind of, it can be boiled down to, into these um, characteristics of white supremacist culture. And so we're going to take a look at where do those things show up in helping healing professions and what does that really look like? And then trying to dismantle those things and identify how do those standards of whiteness perpetuate harm against folks of color mm-hmm. in healing spaces. So like the first part of the day is white supremacist values, what are those, unpacking that, where do we find it in our own profession. We're also going to spend some good solid part of the day practicing having conversations with each other um, so that you can be an advocate and you can be an ally, you know, and that you are going to have skills and tools to, you know, if something comes up in your workplace, how am I going to talk to another white person about why this isn't helpful or about why we should change this policy or about why, you know, whatever about why I'm doing this the way that I'm doing it. Um, and then in the afternoon, we will say, okay, these are the white supremacist values that we looked at. How does this perpetuate harm? What kinds of things should we do instead? And then having more practice, just talking to other white folks about what this means. So that's sort of the overview. Incredible. Of the day. Incredible. And will you be doing any, um, like either private or bespoke things as well, or will it just be kind of ongoing trainings as they arise? Like what are, are there any other ways for folks to work with y'all right now? Absolutely. Um, so we definitely do consulting with individuals and with organizations. So if there are folks who are like, you know, we are really committed to transforming our organization to make it truly anti-racist, but we're not really sure how we are the folks, you know, give us a call. Uh, we're definitely really looking for people that, you know, kind of want to get down and dirty and in the mud and people who have a little bit of knowledge about these kinds of things already. Mm-hmm. Um, there are tons of really, really beautiful organizations out there that provide amazing intros to like, here's an introduction to like racism might be real. You know, I feel like um, Resolution Northwest is a local organization mm-hmm. that does beautiful work around that. So we definitely do consulting work. Um, we are working to build training across the country. So Shay and I actually work together um, bi-coastally. So mm. I'm here in Portland, Shay's in Philly. Yeah. Um, and so we are, everything is not limited to Portland. So there are folks interested in having a workshop and they're like, oh my gosh, my organization needs this. Or like, if you come out here, like we will provide you a space or like whatever the case may be. Yeah. Like we will 
people come and find you, you know, it's not just limited to the Portland area. And, you know, I'm working on building um, a four hour training for students. Oh, um, like things are, things are really in the work and like building and growing. Yeah. Cause I totally get that, you know, it's expensive to be a student and so wanting to provide lower cost options. We do have a student rate, um, but you know, I want to, I want to have, I'm, I'm uh, like consulting with an organization on the East coast that they do like in school trauma work. And so Incredible. making their curriculum focus on social justice and um, an anti-racist school curriculum. So like people can ask me about that. We're doing a lot of things actually. Incredible. So my thought is like, if there are people that are like, I want something that sounds more like this, I'm like, just send us an email. Mm-hmm. info at artix.org uh, ar-tic.org and like just send us an email and be like hey I'm excited I want this thing and then we'll be like yeah we actually probably do that in some form or another <laughs> incredible just the fact that you came here today and spoke about all that you did and that you're offering this work I just want to say really from the bottom of my heart thank you and I absolutely hope- thank you so much for having me like it's it's been such a for me, um, you know, and I think I just want to encourage all the folks listening um, who are kind of wondering, like, how does this relate to tarot? And, you know, like, I'm like, bust out your, your queen of swords and just, yes. like, do a little meditation and, you know, just try to figure out, like, where does this truth land for you mm-hmm. and where are the areas that you need to really seek your truth? And then ask yourself, how do I how do I move from queen to king? You know, how do I go from this inside work mm-hmm. to, like, being a leader and a teacher? of the truth. Glorious. Thank you so much again, Rebecca. Thank you so much for listening to Tarot for the Wild Soul. This podcast was edited by Chase Voorhees. The podcast art is by Chelsea Iris Granger, and it is hosted by me, Lindsay Mack. For more about the podcast, visit wildsoulpodcast.com or follow us on Instagram at Tarot for the Wild Soul. For more about me and my work, please visit lindsaymack.com. To support Tarot for the Wild Soul, please consider subscribing to the podcast on iTunes and leaving us a five-star review. It helps people find us and it is greatly, greatly appreciated. Thank you so much for being here.